Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. On this week's episode, we're joined by BBC Castle's Matthew Raisbeck, as well as our regular panellist Chris Woff. Up for discussion, is that Arsenal defeat? Jamal Sells, John Joe Shelby, their lack of leaders on the pitch, and what the future holds from Castle United. I'm Andrew Musgrove, and this is the Everything is Black and White podcast, sponsored by eToro. Hello guys, how are we uh, this fine Tuesday morning? Well, it could be better if results were better, but I, I suppose uh, you've got to try and take a positive. I managed to write eight reasons for Newcastle fans to be optimistic yesterday, which was a little bit of a struggle, but yeah. And to you, Matthew, thank you very much for, for coming in on your day off as well. So Fine, thanks, thanks for having me. Last time I was here was after Man United last season, a bit of a different feel <laughs> and a different mood about Newcastle now. Um, I mean, that's where we'll begin. We'll begin with the off game, obviously we were all there on Saturday beforehand lots of positivity I mean even you Chris were positive which is a rarity uh, no offence intended as soon as the team sheet came out though um, the feeling seemed to change not just within the dressing room but you kind of got a feeling around the stadium that the team sheet was set up to contain Arsenal and maybe damage limitation even before the game kicked off yeah well we even did a Facebook live with uh, John Gibson as well before the game uh, and we looked at the team sheet and, and when you first saw it, I think that the optimism Newcastle fans had built up over a couple of weeks thinking look, Arsenal had been to Cardiff and struggled defensively in particular and they had a particularly good start of the season and Newcastle had, had two weeks to focus on this game and you suddenly saw the team and when there wasn't any Shelby in it, there wasn't any Rondon and then Kennedy had even been dropped from it which some people took as a positive but at the same time he's in theory Newcastle's main attack and outlet. When they weren't in the team, you suddenly looked and you thought, particularly looking at the midfield with Diame and Hayden in there, there just seemed to be a lack of creativity. To be fair, for the first half, Newcastle hustled and bustled quite well. They were probably shaded that first half, but there was a, there was a lack of invention. They didn't really have any clear-cut chances. I mean, they never shot on target. I'd say the best chances probably Murphy heading it across the box. Um, and then as soon as they conceded in the second half... Uh, the life just seemed to almost evaporate out of them and it was it was disappointing and that was concerning just to see the way they almost in the second half as soon as they conceded it was almost as if they knew they were going to lose and that that was quite disappointing to see if you raise that, I mean like you said the atmosphere was, was pretty good going into the game but did you feel as soon as Shelby was made from the start of 11 that the feeling just kind of evaporated yeah I got the sense that um most fans are expecting Shelby and Richie to start, given the way that the manager had been talking. But when you looked at the team sheet, I think the fact that Richie was back was overshadowed by the, the shock that Isaac Hayden was just thrown straight in yeah. after a three-match ban, having only played at Cardiff, and, and we know what happened there last month. So that, for me, was, was probably the, the big aspect um, when it came to the team news. And it was a strange one. Um, you hoped that playing against Arsenal the club that let him go um, would have given him a little bit more and he was you know there in the first half I think trying to do his best second half didn't really see him um, and and you would say that it was something that didn't work a lot of fans are asking where was Key um, why didn't he play I know he had a long trip back from South Korea in the week but obviously that is such a key area of any team in any game and when you're missing your most influential player in my opinion in Shelby and then you're missing someone like Key who's very experienced, hasn't got the legs, but still knows how to get around in the Premier League. Uh, and you put Hayden in alongside Diarmi. It's not perhaps a combination that you think will work. And really, when Arsenal got the first goal, you were more you would have been more surprised had it gone 1-1 than 2-0. And the fact the second came so quickly just really ended Newcastle. They were, as Chris says, there in the first half competing, probably shaded it, but they didn't really have any extra gears or any levels to go to, whereas Arsenal, you felt, had two or three more and they found one. And it was just really a, a disappointing day, I think, in terms of the overall performance, the result, what it meant, where it's left Newcastle, and the fact that there are still so many questions being asked about the state of the squad and also the manager's decisions and choices. I think the Shelby Hayden aspect was key. For me, Hayden was a surprise, as you say, because of his lack of Premier League football, but also his lack of pre-season football. Mm. We know there's been questions even from Benitez about whether his mindset's in the right place. He wasn't there for large spells of pre-season. He came, he fluttered in and out. He, I can't think that he 
really played more than 180 minutes across the whole of pre-season combined and you could see by the start of the second half he just lacked any sort of match sharpness the Shelby element I, just, I, I don't know whether Rafa Benitez was, was trying to play mind games or not with Arsenal but if he was I almost think that backfired because it seemed to me that he wanted to keep suggesting that Shelby could play and that Arsenal would then have to come up with a plan against him but actually when the team sheet came out it, Arsenal were almost relieved he wasn't there and for Newcastle fans haven't thought that their big creative force or they've missed the last few weeks when he wasn't in the team I just think it had that negative impact of well where is the creativity going to come from here yes Richie was back but in that midfield they just really lacked any sort of ideas and by the second half I thought the two of them just looked shattered as well It is deflating as well isn't it for fans when it, 2 o'clock comes and they see the team oh I thought Shelby was going to start no he's not and then you ask yourself how on earth are we going to win this match because for Newcastle to play well, largely you need John Joe Shelby to play well because so much of what's good about what they do when they're attacking, whether it's on the counter-attack or whether they've got a team penned in the box, I think comes through him because he plays with such intent and he's got the vision and the ability to execute the things that he sees, play those balls that really without him it's going to be such a tall order to get that kind of result against a team like Arsenal who aren't perhaps what they were a few years ago but are still very talented and I think you do have to play well to beat them. So the good thing is that Shelby's had another week and he's been involved in a squad and you'd feel that he's closer but when we asked the manager after the match and obviously he does several interviews he said that Shelby just wasn't fully fit and I think a fair question from a lot of fans would be, if he's not fully fit, why is he in the 18 at all? Another person that was omitted was Salman Rondon, came back from, I think it was Miami. Yedlin also flew back from the United States and yet was in the team. A few questions been raised there. If Yedlin's come back pretty much the same distance, why isn't Rondon straight in the team? Yeah, I mean, I'm always a little bit tentative to criticise things like that because we don't know the specific ins and outs of that I mean Rondon we knew when he first came was struggling for fitness whether that is still a factor I'm not 100% sure I don't know the schedules exactly getting back into the country but it does raise questions as to why Yedlin was considered available Key doesn't even make the squad Rondon's on the bench doesn't come on obviously the injury to Lascelles affected that because Newcastle had fewer substitutions to be able to use to really affect the game during the second half but that was you, you got I almost got the feeling for the whole two weeks that Rondon wasn't going to play I, th- I think that I mean the guys went to speak to him during the week and, and just what you heard from that it was almost hinting that, that Hosselu was going to start he'd been on time side for a fortnight and Benitez quite often does that and I suppose you can argue that Hosselu started the season quite well he's a replacement for Rondon if Yedlin doesn't play you've got Mankio who A hasn't played much recently because he'd been injured and B really is a significant downgrade on, on DeAndre Edlin in my opinion so I, I think that is a slightly difficult one but at the same time that, that did certainly contribute to the deflating mood that I think the team sheet itself brought One thing I noticed on Saturday and this might be just my opinion I think me and Chris just talked about yesterday was the lack of leadership on the pitch once Lascelles went off in my opinion you were left with just Matt Ritchie no one else really talking Kay Fernandez was, was trying but there was a lack of drive there was a lack of intent I thought by the whole the whole team really in normal circumstances that isn't that bad when you've got two or three leaders like Lascelles like Lachelle like Air Shelby like Richie but when you've just got one it stands out yeah and it's still a young team and a young squad now you have Dubravka and Fernandez who are 29 and Diarme who's 31 and I know Benitez looks at those three likes their mentality sees them as smart intelligent experienced but calm as well but when if you're looking for people to cajole others and, and players to I think to try and, and, and get a reaction uh, out of their teammates you probably want the more emotional characters like Lascelles because we know how he demonstrates his passion to the fans but also his teammates Shelby who Obviously, sometimes that emotion is um, applied in the wrong way, but but more often than not with Newcastle, it's been to good effect. And players like Richie, so when you've only got one of those three, when maybe you need somebody just to grab hold of the team or individuals in it, then yeah, you you are going to be lacking that kind of leadership. And 
you've probably all seen the little clip that's gone around on Twitter of Richie after he gives away a free kick right hand side in his own half in the first half I'm not sure who he's shouting at I think it's don't, Mordial, don't I think. stop giving the ball away words to that effect is what he says and yeah you know if that's not there then that is a concern and that's what Newcastle didn't have a few years ago when they were finding things really tough in the Premier League they didn't have that type of character um, so they may have other players who perhaps are more experienced and as I say maybe call them wise heads but you do need the likes of Richie Shelby and Lasalle and, and those three are I said Shelby for me is the most influential player you need I think you need those three there in the team at the same time in all different areas of the pitch because they make such a difference and I think it's one of the reasons that we're, we're all pleased that Richie didn't leave in the summer is because of um, the the good mentality that he has brought and that he tries to um, impose on other players whether it's in training or, or in the matches yeah and I just think with Richie's He's an infectious character. What he does on the, on the pitch, you can see when he's on it, when he is the one who's chasing down balls, whipping things in the box. His teammates get elevated that extra level, and I thought first half he had that. Newcastle weren't really in the right positions, but then the second half, yes, you've seen the, the clip from Richie where he but I just thought that the intensity of the whole team dropped. For some reason, the start of the second half about 15 yards further back down the pitch because first half they were the highest defensive line I've seen them all season they were pressing high up front trying to hurry check and the, and the Arsenal defence who were making mistakes from Staffy looked nervous but then second half the cells seemingly going off must have affected them they started off deeper invited Arsenal to come on them Fernandes gave away the free kick and then once Xhaka put that in the top corner it was almost as if Newcastle seemed to accept that they were going to lose the game and for about 15 minutes they were almost all over the place and Arsenal could have scored three or four in that time and luckily only got the two, the second. I guess in a way the three things we've talked about there, the, the lack of creativity, the lack of leadership and obviously the, the lack of goals, was there anything that Benitez really wanted to kind of solve, not just last summer but the summer before that, the giant transfer windows, again it's, it's his concerns ringing true. Yeah, nobody knows the squad better than Rafa Benitez, he knows what the players are good at, but he also knows their limitations and, and what he feels the group overall is lacking. And um, I feel sorry for Hosselu because he is one of the players that is always, I think, first to be criticised. He scored two very good goals this season against two of the top teams, but that's not enough to save him from the Boo Boys. Now, Rafa Benitez knows Hosselu isn't the answer. I think Hosselu himself knows he's not the answer to Newcastle's goal-scoring ills of the last few years. But um, he is what they've got, and really he's all they've got. And they, in the summer, or when the season ended, they had Gale, Hosselu, Mitrovic under contract and Perez. They still needed at least one new striker. Two of those have gone. They've brought one in. You know, they're still short of a couple of forwards so Hosselu is all that they've got and if you're relying on him to get you the goals to finish in the top half then it's probably not going to happen his other stats are good and that's why Rafa Benitez likes him and that's why he preferred him to Mitrovic who didn't do the other things but can score goals in a more attacking team as we've seen with Fulham um, obviously you hope Rondon will, will get the chance and come through and come good because he, he does have qualities and a better Premier League goal scoring record but I think when you when you watch the team on Saturday, did you ever feel like they had they really had a had a grip of Arsenal and had somebody to bully and boss their two centre halves? And you would say probably not. Now Rondon could have done that job, I think, but there's questions about his fitness. So um, while you can be in the game and you can press them and you can force errors, if you haven't got that somebody there up top to do the damage then in some ways all the other work is in vain and, and I think that's been the sad thing watching it this season Austin's got a couple of goals he'll do everything he can for the team but he's not going to be prolific and with Rondon still trying to get fit there are just no other options and, and they're just really really struggling in that area and it's absolutely no surprise and it'll be no surprise to the manager either I think you hit, it, hit on the, the nail on the head that we said half the time Chris that they've pressed 
they've, they've done well but didn't have a shot on target there was a moment Jocelyn was down on the left hand side put a beautiful cross in who's he aiming for because technically he's the person that should be there getting on, on the end of that cross and it is it's a sad reality of where Newcastle is really because the atmosphere around the stadium you know it, it's kind of like fans are just are just accepting it I saw tweets saying fans are just turning up and just watching the game out of out of loyalty really and, and the result either way you know the lose the lose yeah it almost felt by the second half on Saturday there was almost like an apathetic sort of feeling which hasn't been something I, I'd necessarily noticed up till that point this season but look we can make the, the point until we're blue in the face that we all agree with that squad is massively lacking for however many transfer windows in succession they haven't addressed the main issues they've got primarily goal scoring they needed additional quality in midfield in the summer they needed additional cover at fullback all of these are serious issues and they're going to afflict Newcastle but the fact of the matter is that that can't be changed until January so between now and January Newcastle are going to have to find results from somewhere it's going to be very difficult and there are going to be times along the way where Rafa Benitez is going to be questioned as some fans and some journalists myself included have questioned certain approaches on Saturday and in other games but he's trying as he keeps saying I'm trying to make the best with what I've got now that and to a certain extent a lot of people well that's negative you're basically writing off your players but that is the reality of the situation he's in there are serious deficiencies within that squad but they need to find a way to try and grind out some points because they can't address that till January and they can't afford to, to not pick up any points till January so they need to find a way to start winning games hopefully Rondon Shelby Kennedy once he finds some form will bring it because they need they need that spark and I, I genuinely believe once they get us something which really sets the season alight I think that they'll start to pick up some momentum I don't think it's going to be an easy season I think it's going to be a grind all the way through but I think once they get that one momentary spark to the life which could have been a Cardiff with that penalty I think that, that things will start to pick up but Cardiff accepted he has found a way with these players to contain to an extent extent in terms of the scoreline for the top six teams from last season. Now, yes, they beat Arsenal last year and it was only a few months ago, but it's a different season. They've made changes. Newcastle's squad has obviously changed as well. So he's kept them in the games and the goal difference hasn't taken a battering and that goal difference got Newcastle four extra places on the final day of the season, didn't it, last year? And and the club, the, the best part of £10 million. Which unfortunately he didn't get the spend. Well, indeed. Um, so again, victim of his own success. But he's managed to do that. And and if you're looking for positives, if you're looking for something to cling on to, then you would say that the goal difference and the fact that they haven't been battered in terms of a scoreline, Chelsea-dominated possession, uh, Manchester City, obviously. Spurs was probably the home game that they should have won. Arsenal at the weekend was disappointing. We all know what happened at Cardiff. They had to win and they didn't. Um, but that's obviously a different case because they were a promoted team. So he's managed to do that with what he described on Saturday. is more or less the same squad as he had last season. Um, if you sprinkle these four defeats across a season, 2-1 Spurs, Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal, it's probably not bad. But the fact that you have them all together at the start of the campaign and you haven't won in five and then you've got Crystal Palace, who are a very dangerous team. And then you've got Leicester, who can turn it on and can hurt you up next. It's going to get maybe a little bit easier. The expectation is going to go, but it's not going to be simple in the next few weeks before you go to Manchester United. Is there a case that for all Newcastle played well against Spurs, Chelsea, Arsenal, that when they went to Cardiff, the, 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 the kind of approach changes because they're not expected to sit back and contain they're maybe expected to go a bit more and the players perhaps maybe are going to struggle maybe getting out of the approach against the better sides to the sides that they are on par with perhaps I think that was the worst performance Cardiff for 90 minutes second half against Arsenal not good Chelsea very different type of game Um, but Cardiff it was a dreadful match and they just watching the game you were hoping that it was going to happen for them and that, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes right now, now it'll click. And it didn't. Second half, you thought, okay, they've made a change, let's see. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen at all. They almost got dragged down to Cardiff's level in that game. I'd say, for me, the thing on Saturday was 
I wrote about it on Sunday. It was almost as if Benitez switched to a more attacking or liberated the system somewhat, but the players themselves, it almost did, didn't have the mentality switch. Now, I think part of that was because there was no Kennedy, there was no Shelby, there was no Rondon, so there weren't necessarily the real attacking forces within the team. But for as much as Newcastle were 15 yards further at the pitch in the first half, for as much as they had quite a lot of possession in the first half and, and got into the final third... It was as if they just didn't have that final killer instinct and I think that, that that's what they're lacking at the moment. That comes with confidence. The fixture list hasn't been kind to them. It's been a very difficult start. And that was the first time I've really been concerned about them. The Cardiff game was worrying, but that was early in the season and, and you knew it was Cardiff's first home game. The, the Spurs game, I still think Newcastle were unlucky in second half. They should have got something out of the game and I felt that that was, that was just unlucky. And if they'd had a, a proper striker, maybe if Rondon had been fully fit, they would have done Chelsea, again, they could have got something out of the game. I wasn't overly concerned by that. Man City, not at all either. But Arsenal are not the same level as they were before. And I just think that that was a bit of an opportunity on Saturday. And that's when it, I was I was disappointed. And I think it was just, it's changing that mentality. The fixtures have been harsh on them. And so confidence is going to be low. But they need to start getting goals from somewhere because they need those results and they need them quickly. A bit of trivia then. Newcastle are now on their worst start since 99 2000. Can you guys name the five uh, matches that were played? So there were four defeats and one draw. Can you guys name it, name it, the games? Aston Villa at home, Spurs away, Southampton away, Wimbledon at home was the draw, and it'll be Sunderland, wouldn't it? And that's why he's in the job he is, yes. As I spend all day looking at stats <laughs> and records, yeah. On to the positive. 20 side. years, by the way. I mean, that is, you know, about 19 years. Yeah. yeah. How far have we come? I mean, the alarm bells were ringing that season. You remember, and obviously the change was needed. Very different to now, isn't it, when we do have a manager that, that everybody largely believes in. There's always one or two. Uh, I think we had a call um, to our phone in on BBC Newcastle on Saturday. Someone saying that another manager would do a better job with these players than Benitez and, and that's not consistent with the, the majority view is it but but back then obviously a lot of th- a lot more things were wrong with the playing side um, than there are now but yeah it's um, an unwanted record to equal it is but just addressing the, the criticism of Benitez there's been so, I almost get the feeling that there's we had this during the nine game winless one last season as well that some fans almost feel like you can't say anything against Benitez but I don't think that there's anything um, inconsistent about genuinely believing that Rafa Benitez is the perfect man for this job and and the right manager but then criticising or disagreeing with individual decisions he makes I I don't think there's anything inconsistent with that and and I think that that some people almost struggle with that approach because I believe that Rafa Benitez needs to be in charge of this football club I think that he is the man who could bring him success if he's allowed to but even within that, I'm sure he would even accept this. He's going to make mistakes, and therefore we will criticise, particularly when they're not winning games. But as he often makes a point himself, sometimes you actually make the biggest mistakes when you win games. They just don't necessarily get highlighted, or from his point of view as a manager. Um, and so I, I think that, it, yes, don't go overboard. Rafa Benitez is, is, is a football manager. We're not. We can't criticise necessarily every, everything he does. But I do think that he can. Uh, there's nothing inconsistent about criticising certain individual decisions and I think he got some things wrong on Saturday. Well that was going to be one of the next questions was that if you do look through social media, okay, it's not a fair representation of of Newcastle United fans but there are some criticisms about his decisions, his substitutions obviously then we're going to speak about ourselves in just a moment. He went off injured um, which many Newcastle couldn't bring on their, their, their third sub but still some substitutions he brought on Mudu, um, brought on Kennedy you know, some fans are questioning was that worthy the right players to bring on? Well, he has his reasons, doesn't he? And he obviously looks at the match in uh, a particular way, and we see him discussing things with his coaching staff. And he obviously he's doing it for the right reasons. We just may not know those reasons at the time, and, and some of us may not understand them. And, and we've all got our own opinions, um, but. When the team loses, there's obviously going to be that that level of forensic analysis on on every decision he makes. Look, everyone who goes to work gets things wrong or 
would redo certain things. We all make mistakes and every manager's going to get criticised. Rafa Benitez will tell you himself that he's, he's got things wrong. He's got signings wrong at Newcastle. Um, Lazar sells, maybe Hanley, for instance. Those deals that he did, that he wanted, didn't work, and he'll admit that. But he gets the overwhelming majority of his decisions right for this club and, and for the players individually and for the team. Um, the Shelby thing, obviously, on the bench, he, he wasn't fully fit, so I'm not sure, even if they could have made a third change, whether or not they would have used him. But I think when it's Muto instead of Rondon, or Kennedy first instead of Rondon, and then Kennedy second coming on after the, the defensive change for the injury, that is that has some supporters scratching their heads. And, and you can understand why, but again, he'll have had his reasons for doing that. And, and if Kennedy had suddenly found what is lost, found that, that spark again, and he goes and beats a couple of players and sticks one in the back of the net, then it's a brilliant decision. If Muto won the penalty at Cardiff, who you know is sprightly and, and, and likes to get about the pitch, goes and, and draws a foul, wins, wins another penalty like he's done, then then it works, doesn't it? So it, it, it's almost the onus, once they're on, is, is on those individuals. And like you're saying, if he has um, withdrawn the shackles and liberated the team, then, then it's up to the, the players out there to then go and, go and deliver and play with a bit more freedom. But the substitutes didn't, didn't have any impact at all, did they? On, on the, the, the subject of liberating the, the, the team and pass on the instructions, I mean, last year, Florian Lejeune was a big part of, of getting the, the message across from the dugout onto the pitch. I mean, who do you think stepped in that role? Because Lejeune, for his defensive qualities, his ability to pass the ball, I mean, that communication, especially last year, seemed key. Yeah, well, there's no coincidence that Newcastle's best period was when he'd really found his form during the second half of the season and then Dubravka arrived and Kennedy arrived and, and they made a huge difference. I think Fernandez has taken on that role to a certain extent. Even on Saturday, I thought he was quite vocal. I think that he, in the first half, it was interesting to see that he almost, uh, this was probably because Lascelles was carrying that injury, but he almost adopted the role of, of telling the defence to push forward or drop deep. He was speaking with them. And I think that he has been one of the few positives from the early part of this season. I have been impressed with them. He's nowhere near as good on the ball as, as Lejeune. He doesn't influence play and attack like that. But, but what a cross. I mean, that's exactly, yeah, it was, a, it, was a it was a phenomenal cross. Mm-hmm. Um, just addressing the, the, the Benitez uh how he approaches games. What I really like about Rafa Benitez, as opposed to when I compare it to the same period during Steve McLaren, is that Benitez believes in, in what he's doing and he believes that, that eventually the methods will pay off. He keeps talking about over the 38 game season, he points to last year, even during the nine game winners run last season, yes, he tinkered with the formation at times, they tried 4 4 2, they tried different things, but he believed that the overall methods eventually would pay dividends. The squad, using the squad in the right way, the second half of the season, they will have learned from the mistakes, they'll get better, and all of that rang true. And he's still sticking to that now. He believes his approach against Chelsea and Man City was correct because Newcastle didn't get hammered. They could have nicked something in those games. Yes, they didn't play well at Cardiff, they didn't play well at Arsenal, but again, they could have got something out of those matches. And they've been in every single one of those games, and as soon as that starts to flip, I do think that the Newcastle will start to push up the table. I just uh, to add to that, and I know um, that it was a piece in the paper last week. I think Mark Douglas wrote it because um, Rafa Benitez met some of the local media last week, and and he was, you know, he was in fine form as he always is. You can ask him anything, and and he, you know, he will give you a really detailed answer. But he gave an example about how when he meets with players and goes through the videos, and he talks about. A match or an aspect of a game or just generally and he said there's one player that I had a meeting with that said we know we can do it because we did it last season and it was Modiame um, and, and that is that point he believes in his methods and he's got the players to believe in those methods and they demonstrated how it can be effective and successful last season and it's exactly the same approach so why wouldn't it work? Again, it may not get them to 10th. And remember, they finished 10th on the lowest points total ever to get you in the top half of the Premier League. You know, it, it might it might get them to 13th or 14th, but with a net spend of minus £25 million pounds or, or whatever it was, then, you know, that could be deemed a success in itself. So um, the players, 
are certainly behind him and 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 still um, really I think I think they understand why he plays the way that he does um, for instance the Manchester City match I know he looked at how Wolves took on Manchester City and there were examples of the video and he was with players and there was one counter-attack that Wolves went on and I think they went from pretty much their own right corner down to the other end in the space of 10 or 15 seconds. few passes, a bit of skill, a bit of pace. And he was talking to the players and it was along the lines of, it'd be great if we can do that, but the players knew that they couldn't. They weren't good enough to do that. They didn't have the attributes to do that, the pace, the movement, whatever. Um, so they have to go about things in a different way so they really understand why he set them up like this I don't think there's any questioning of, of the approach or the tactics or the general um, the general flow of, of their play and I'm pleased you mentioned Fernandez as well um, and John Anderson who does the matches with us um, former Newcastle player he likes Fernandez and you're right, I think, about him not having the influence that Lejeune has, certainly when it comes to long passing diagonal balls that he plays, but um, he's quite good on it short, he's neat and tidy, he's a technical player, I know he gave the free kick away for the first goal, um, but a fantastic cross, and the manager likes him and sees him as a, as a good professional, more than a solid Premier League player, and, and probably for what they paid for him, I think, they got decent value for money. Definitely. Just before we get to some positives, try and install you know a bit of happiness um, on this podcast. I just want to speak about Benitez and his future. So we're going the other direction because I think George Carlton kind of tweeted out after the game. We've written it before in the past few weeks about you know what is the end goal because Benitez isn't sure he's going to be in the summer. How is that affecting the players? I mean, what is the approach because? Last season, it was all about the future we can build, you know, let's see where we end up, 10th, whatever, build on that. But now, you know, we don't know what's going to happen come May. Well, that's why I think that Rafa Benitez is so reluctant to talk about his future in general because he realises that it almost goes against the message of unity and the message that we're all in this together because at the moment he, he, he simply can't commit his future to the club because he, they don't share the ambition he does. He doesn't believe that it's going to be any different to this in the future. And... That that's an issue because we all of the all of last season and even the season before was built on the premise it was at first it was promotion we were all in this that's that's the end goal last season it was, was survival then Benitez kept saying all all the way through last term that we'll have more money from the Premier League we'll be able to build we'll be able to compete we'll be able to start looking up the table we won't have to go to Anfield and and the Etihad and sit back and just defend but none of that bore fruit in the summer Benitez wasn't able to agree a new deal. They obviously didn't spend the money they want and so at the moment there is almost that murky cloud and I think that that is where this apathy is starting to come from there's the protests outside the ground against Mike Ashley which is understandable given where everything that's going on but all of this just adds together to create this uncertainty of nobody knows what is going to happen at the club next summer at the moment Rafa Benitez is not going to be there he, he keeps on saying that there's nothing to worry about with my contract we don't have to talk about it now but he knows more than most that, that he's been slightly disingenuous there and that the biggest factor at this football club, other than Meg Ashley's ownership of it, is Rafa Benitez and Rafa Benitez being here. And if he isn't, or if there's uncertainty that he will be, then that creates doubt at every level of the club. And I think that it is affecting everything that's going on as much as he wants to suggest that it isn't. Agree with that, Reza? You were talking there about um, uncertainty. And when Rafa Benitez arrived there was um, a clear target and it was avoid relegation. Then the following season, get promoted. Last season, stay in the Premier League. But what is it now? Do you want to just avoid relegation after finishing 10th? Or do you want to build on a 10th place to finish? If that's what you want, then you've then got to invest in the team in a way that they didn't. So I think the goal for this season, the target is it's hard to define if you ask supporters if you, I think if you ask 10 fans you'd probably get 10 different answers wouldn't you some would say we just want to finish fourth bottom some would say well we finished 10th last year we, you know, we can do it again others will say well look at what Burnley did and maybe our squad's better than what Burnley had last year and there'll be some that think 
the, the team will probably finish a couple of places lower. It's really hard to, to define, I think, what, what the team is aiming for this season. And then when you have the bigger picture and the longer term, in, as insecure as it is with Rafa Benitez's contract running out next summer, it, it doesn't give, like you say, that message of unity. And it doesn't give, I think, fans any hope that in 12 months' time, this club will be in a better place than it is now. And when Rafa Benitez came in, I'm sure his short-term, medium-term, long-term target, speaking generally, was to make Newcastle United better. And while he's, he's here, individuals will improve. Just look at what he's done for Paul Dummett, um, Jamal Lascelles, even Modi Arme, helping him find his, his best form, generally speaking. Uh, and even, you could say, bringing on players like Kennedy uh, last season, giving him a chance to play in the Premier League. The team as a whole will improve. And you may say that the side that got relegated had a bit more flair. And certainly there were more high-profile international players than the one that finished 10th last season. So he's made the team better. He's made individuals better. And he can, in the ways that are open to him, make the club better and make the fans feel better about the club. But while the team will grow, the club's not going to change. It's Nothing's going to improve while the current ownership is in place. And interestingly, we wrote last week that the, well, Mark Douglas wrote rather the price had come down. Another story today from another local media saying along the same lines. Chris, I mean, what's your understanding of where the club is at in terms of a, a new owner? Well, there's, there's been whispers from certain people who have quite good contact with Ashley over the last couple of weeks that the price has come down, that rather than 380 to 400 million, he's looking at a straight 300 million, no strings attached, I'll, I'll sell up sort of thing. And as people saying, is that to do with the protests? Is he fed up? I don't know exactly what has contributed to that. I, I can only go by what information I'm given as well. I, don't, I haven't heard from Ashley himself, so I don't know that that's 100% true. But if it is the case... It needs someone to actually come and buy the club at that price. Amanda Staveley and PCP Capital Partners wouldn't pay that up front initially. Seemingly, Ashley didn't want to negotiate with her either. I think there is other, there are other whispers in the background of other people being interested, but there's a big difference between tentative interest and actually turning that into a substantive bid. At the moment, I'm still told from people at the club that they're planning for the medium term even that Mike Ashley is going to be owner. So for now, unfortunately, I can't see light at the end of the tunnel in that. Hopefully something does happen, as we keep saying, it will almost happen overnight where a new owner comes and takes charge. But until that moment, either Mike Ashley and Rafa Benitez need to find a way to work together long term or Rafa Benitez is not going to be here beyond the end of the season. You mentioned protests. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I always ask people this uh, Matt, um, do you think that Mike Ashley is getting bothered by these protests? Now, obviously, they've gone from outside Sports Direct on Northumberland Street to outside the stadium. There were a lot of people out there on Saturday. Um, do you think if this continues, if it ramps up some more? Um, I, you know, a lot of the, the national press went out of the press room on Saturday afternoon to go and actually watch it, feel a bit of write about it. I mean, do you foresee if the national coverage continues with me because I've spoken about this before Mike Ashley gets a bit more bothered when it's on a national scale do you think his he will take more note and he will start to get a bit bothered by it uh, I mean these supporters are really um, sticking to what they believe in and if you look at what campaigns like if Rafa goes we go uh, the Magpie group and I think that the Magpie group comprises quite a few supporters groups um, their plan is obviously to affect change at the club, but they talk about wanting to disrupt Mike Ashley's business life and I suppose damage the brands that he's associated with. Obviously, um, they were protesting outside the shop on Northumberland Street and, and, and visually that won't look good for Sports Direct. They've taken that now to the club shop. So they are not giving up and not giving in and I think that's when they had the um, the open meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Labour Club in Newcastle, that was one of the key messages, wasn't it? That um, this has to be um, a consistent approach, but 
it has to be a longer term thing until they, they achieve their objective. So those fans are not going to stop, they're not going to give in and I'm sure they'll find other ways and other methods. But if they want to crank up the pressure on Mike Ashley by going after his other businesses, then obviously they have, they have been seen to do that. And if that is being picked up on a national scale, as, as it has been over the weekend, particularly whether it's newspapers or TV or, or radio, then you know, they will feel that their message is going into all corners of the country, which maybe hasn't happened in the past. So, yeah, you know, the reach is, is increasing for those supporters. And I think it's, it's an ever-increasing number of fans who are joining their ranks because you touched on it earlier, there's apathy it's almost like supporters now are going out of a sense of duty a sense of loyalty not because they're actually looking forward to the match how many fans hand on heart can honestly say during the two week international break they were really looking forward to watching Newcastle against Arsenal they would go because they have a season ticket because they've paid their money they go because they love Rafa Benitez and they want the team to do well but they were really looking forward to the football, to the match, to, to the perhaps inevitable outcome. Maybe not. And I think there's just so many thousands of fans that feel that the joy of watching football and supporting their team and really being part of their club has been taken from them. And it's further away from them now than it probably has been in any of the 11 years that Ashley's been there. Most certainly. I mean, it, it was last month, 10 years since the protests, so... Well, no, this one, sorry. Uh, ten years since protest since Keegan left. I mean, that was just a year or so after Ashley took over the club, and it's quite easy to forget just how quickly it turned sour. Yeah, and the, the thing that I think Newcastle fans need to learn from then, and to be honest, I don't know how they can necessarily affect this, but to get Mike Ashley to leave, there has to be an alternative. Somebody has to come and buy the football club, or there has to be some way that some, I don't know, cooperation between fans groups and some investors get together because at the moment my gosh you could people keep asking does he genuinely want to sell well until someone other than PCP Capital Partners obviously we saw that he claims that wasn't a real uh, offer if someone else comes along and makes him a real offer matches whatever the supposed price is of 300 300 or million then we will suddenly see is he realistic about wanting to go until that actually comes along there's only so much change you can affect. He doesn't seem bothered as long as Newcastle United are going to be in the Premier League. If we get to January and they're cut adrift off in the bottom three, I think he actually will invest because he's tended to do that in the past. Whenever it has looked like Newcastle are going to go down, he did it in 2016 in January then. He did it in January 2013 when they were in trouble. So he, he does tend to make a difference in that regard when he will actually say, yes, you can loosen the purse strings now. But... Yes, it's almost come full circle since that t- happened 10 years ago and that is where I'd say if fans want to continue protesting then I, I'm not going to tell any fan what they should or shouldn't do but I also think that if they, if they want to really create that facilitate like actually leaving they're going to need to find this alternative which is easier said than done because obviously he's, he's been there 11 years and nobody's bought it off him yet. But I think what we are getting now at national level and from people outside the North East and the Newcastle fan base is a greater understanding of why the supporters are unhappy. Now, there's certain television presenters and pundits um, for a channel, I think, that broadcasts to the Middle East that obviously have said things that are just not representative of of Newcastle United and, and what the supporters want. But I think now other media outlets that perhaps don't, have the level of, of understanding don't cover the club in the way that we do are now seeing why the supporters have these grievances why they want change it's not that they expect to be at the top of the table as they were in the mid 90s with Kevin Keegan or when Sir Bobby Robson revitalised the place and got into the Champions League look who wouldn't want to return to that but that's not the expectation and it, it goes back I think to the, the banner that was held up at an away match when Pardew was there. I, I can't remember. Swansea, Stoke, maybe Leicester. Um, we don't demand a team that wins. We just want a club that tries. And that really sums up the mentality, I think, of Newcastle supporters. 
there's no expectation for anything other than just to try and have a go. That's all they want. That's all any fan would want, whether you're Bournemouth, Huddersfield, Cardiff, Burnley again, or one of the top six teams. You want your club to try and to have a go. And we were discussing before the match in our build-up about Arsenal. And we played a, a clip of Ian Wright, who was talking about all the problems that they had and everything that was wrong and everything that Unai Emery was trying to put right. And, and I said to Ando, it'd be brilliant to have Arsenal's problems, wouldn't it? It's all relative, and there'd be plenty of clubs that would love to have Newcastle's problems. But actually... This has gone on for more than a decade now, and and really, you're quite right, Chris. There needs to be somebody prepared to come in and buy it, and then have the money to run it and invest and sort out the training ground. I know you've written about that extensively in the stadium in the last week. Fix those things, invest in the team, the academy, build up the off-field staff, everything that, that perhaps Newcastle United needs to grow and needs to develop. They've got to have the money and they've got to have the willingness to be able to do that. Um, but the appetite for change is, is so great that I think at this moment in time, most fans would probably accept anything and anybody, wouldn't they? It's just a sign of perhaps of just how bad it has got. On to our final bit of the podcast now. I just want to ask you guys to give me one positive each. Um, our fans can look. I know you've written by eight, Chris, so it should be quite easy. I'm going to start though with Mudo because we haven't seen a lot of them. That was one of the eight, by the way. Read the article. Yeah, but I'd already, I wasn't already <laughs> going to say this before I read your article. Um, we've seen glimpses of him. He looks very lively, he, you know, very energetic, likes to, obviously likes to get forward. The only query I've, query I've got is where is he going to fit into this, this team? Well, I asked Rafa Benitez this directly a few weeks ago and he said to me that he sees him as a central striker. He says he can play in other positions, but his actual position is a central striker. Um, so he's been unlucky at Cardiff he came on and there were down 10 men he had to move into midfield he's played out wide he's come on in certain positions just off the striker as a number 10 Benitez keeps saying he sees him through the middle I think that the likelihood is he can play most of his football in that three line behind the, the striker but what excites me most about him I think we have seen glimpses but it's the fact that he is just an unknown quantity and I think that it's not he's not just an unknown quantity for Newcastle fans, he is for opposition teams and because I know so little about him now because Benitez says he doesn't even know how good he can be, how many goals he's likely to translate from, from the Bundesliga to the Premier League, I think in the short term once he gets into the team, once he starts playing, he can have a bit of an impact there because teams aren't going to be well conditioned to know exactly what he's going to bring and I think that that can give Newcastle an element of unpredictability they haven't had since the second half of last season when Kendy was playing well and, and if they can get Kendy playing back well alongside him I think that can be a positive. It's tough, isn't it? Um, I would say once again that the defensive aspect of Paul Dummett's performances cannot be questioned at all. Um, you know, watching a match with a, a former fullback is great because he's obviously Ando's very perceptive when it comes to where you should be positionally, defensively, um, and and things like covering and all the basics of defending and I don't think you can criticise Paul Dummett for any of that I think he's very solid the manager trusts him I know that Yedlin offers more going forwards that's not Dummett's game maybe he is a, a centre-half playing at full-back um, still but I just think you can always rely on him to do the very best job and he's going to have a tough game at the weekend because obviously Palace have Townsend and Zaha, but I wouldn't want any other player in the Newcastle squad in that position up against them because he very rarely gets done for pace, very rarely gets skinned. And and I just... It's not a position that I worry about. You could get a, a more attacking left-back, but I, you won't find many better defensively for a club where Newcastle United are. Um, I'll give you a couple more. Fernandez, I think has settled in well the free kick at the weekend aside um, reading a lot of fans comments before the game they wanted him to play alongside Lascelles and it was unfortunate that the captain was injured and then had to go off so we didn't get to see those two together um, and not really with reference to the first team but I just think the fact that you've got Sean Longstaff there just in the shadows a little bit on the fringes it is something to be optimistic about because at Doncaster in the EFL Trophy, he's the best player on the pitch. 
he can play at League One level. Um, he's got the legs to get around. He can play it short. He can play it long. He can score goals. He's versatile. His attitude's excellent. And I, and I do hope they're in a comfortable enough position. And it's through choice rather than necessity, um, you know, rather than a lack of options or a load of injuries or suspensions that sees him get a chance in the Premier League over the coming months, if indeed he doesn't go out on loan uh, in January before then. So I think, you know, there are more pressing matters, but I think that is something to be optimistic about where fans are concerned. Fingers crossed. And just to wrap up the podcast, um, we're going to do a new feature every week. where we pick a subject or a player and we argue whether it's been a canny week or a not so canny week, that's what we shall call it. I'm going to start with Jacob Murphy. Um, I thought he was, he was very good against Arsenal. You know, full of running, really, really has that attack in mind. I think he's not only replacing Kennedy, he's, he's making a point that actually I could, could start there all the time. You know, okay, he's not as good as Kennedy, but his performances over the last, the last few Games have been have been really good, and I think we're starting to see just why Newcastle paid the amount of money they did for him. I feel a little bit sorry for Murphy because I agree with you to a certain extent. I thought on Saturday there were glimpses there. You could see that he had Bellerin in the first twenty minutes, but I just wanted him to, to offer something extra. I wanted that when he when he got in behind and when Mustafi slipped and he got him, I wanted him to shoot. I wanted him to cut inside, and it was it was actually quite good defending to be fair on him. But I I just felt that there's and that, that comes because he hasn't played that much. He isn't consistently in the team. But I do think that, that there is raw talent there. I think that there is something that needs to be honed. But I, I just think he needs to up the level a little bit more to make sure he's a, he's a Premier League regular for Newcastle because it's that end product which he, he really needs to bring, which Newcastle are lacking. And to be fair, Kendy hasn't been bringing it. So I, I do think that Jacob Murphy has deserved to, to start the last couple of games. But I just think he needs to find that little bit extra. Sure, a little bit more from when he's forced check into a, a decent enough save, which we've not really seen him kind of get into the box that often. Do you think, in his mind, he knows that once Kennedy solves all the issues, all the issue he has got off the field, that he's going to be straight back in the team? Or do you think Jacob Murphy's going, well, actually, you know what, I'm going to knuckle down, I'm going to say to Benitez, play me even when Kennedy's all, you know, all fit and ready? Well, if he keeps making an impression like he did in the first half it'd be, it'd be difficult first half against Arsenal it'd be difficult to leave out um, we had messages on our total sport programme last night from fans who were saying why don't you play Kennedy in the number 10 role now I don't know if Rafa Benitez would ever do that but if he wants to then he's got a quick winger who can go in behind and be played in over the top in Murphy and then you've got Kennedy's trickery, skill, creativity, whatever, right behind a striker. I don't know if that would work, but Murphy gives him another option and Rafa Benitez wanted a winger in the summer who could go in behind rather than Richie obviously has to cut back in and does so much defensive work, doubling up with Yedlin and just and just never stops running for the team. But he wanted somebody who at the other end could beat his man or could be slipped through. Murphy can do that because he's got the pace and he has got a bit of skill, a flick, a trick here and there. It hasn't all come together consistently for him. Um, but I like him and, and really, really want to see him get, get the opportunity over a longer period to show what he can do. And the managers tended to go with him against the top teams. Think about Chelsea on the final day of last season. I thought he was a pest. I thought he had a very good game. Helped the first goal go in from Dwight Gale. It was almost his. Uh, Man City away last season. He scored that terrific goal. I think he played um, against Manchester City at home, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, obviously, Arsenal this time. And he's got that pace to to exploit weaknesses at the back in teams. And um, it's the end product that's obviously that's not there, but, but the raw materials are there with him. It's going to come so... Canny week or not so canny week for Jacob Murphy? Canny. Yeah, I agree. There we go, we'll get some lovely sound effects and that'll be a nice little ding. So he's into the canny week box, shall we say. Chris? Uh, I'm going to argue that Isaac Hayden has had a not so canny week. Um, I'd say he's, not gonna, he's had a not so canny few months. We obviously had the summer when he had a transfer request, said he wanted to be closer to his family, who my understanding is sort of South Wales sort of area. There was an offer from Brighton, 
um, and he seemed to want to go there, even though I think that's only two miles closer to, to the area they're in than uh, Newcastle is. Um, and his head didn't seem to be right. We know he has some issues with with his uh, with his daughter who was born last year. He wants to be near his family. I, I fully understand that. But and Rafa Benitez has tried to work with them to give him time to go and see them. But his head clearly hasn't been in the right place. There was the Cardiff game where he came on, seemed to be far too pumped up. Got a silly red card. Didn't play for three weeks. Then got thrown into the team. To be fair, and him, he clearly wasn't match fit. But got thrown into the team on Saturday. And after an okay first half, second half, I just thought the game completely passed him by. Um, I didn't think that he, he handled the cage very well. So I hope that we're going to see that uh, elevation with it being um, Arsenal. And I think that for someone who was such a positive in the first two years in the Rafinha, as someone who he, he'd really brought out of almost obscurity to a player who was certainly on the fringes almost of being maybe... 7th, 8th, ninth in line to, to, to maybe get into to an England squad I think now he's miles away from that and he really needs to refocus and get back to what he does best but why, why play him? Because if we can see that his head's on and obviously Benitez is with him every day on the train pitch so we, we could be wrong you know, mm-hmm. Benitez might be seeing things that we don't see but why play him after that? It just seems a bit of a, a bizarre decision especially after the, the start he's had the season, the red card which was a totally unnecessary challenge to make and then on top of that, playing him alongside the army, it's a very defensive setup. You know, why okay, for instance, give Sean Longstaff an ego, you know, okay, he's not got the physical strength, but he's the person who could create create a pass, create a goal, sorry. Well, obviously Hayden was in a better place mentally and, and physically because you know, I understand he was ill before he came on a, a, against Cardiff and, you know, was was sick in the in the dressing room and just wasn't in the right condition to go and play in the Premier League and I want to defend him a little bit because his reasons for wanting to go are genuine and, and we've had so many players here in the past few years that have wanted to be anywhere but Newcastle United, you know, just for their own personal development and gain. And he's a he's a nice lad. The manager likes him. He's very articulate, very intelligent. I think, you know, you respect him for that and also for the way that he's tried to further his career by coming to Newcastle and playing every week rather than just staying at Arsenal for as long as he possibly can. He wanted to play, came here and he had a good two seasons. Um, And, you know, you're a footballer and there are significant demands on you, but the problems that he's encountered in his personal life can affect anybody and would make anybody want to move and want to change their job or, or where they work. So... There's no issue with that, but I agree. If he's not, if he's not a hundred percent, then you can't you can't pick him. But the manager might say, well, he doesn't have anybody else other than an untried youngster at, at Premier League level. Because where was Key? Had Key picked up an injury? We're not sure. He had a long trip back and mentioned that he you know he can't get around the pitch in a way that Hayden probably can, um, or the way that Diame does. But but again, just goes back to what you were saying they needed extra players for midfield in the summer and, and didn't didn't get them I agree with that I agree with that I haven't got an issue with the, the the personal reasons that he wants to leave I fully understand that but there came a point in the summer where he was told that he it wasn't he wasn't going to be able to leave and, and I still understand that the things are affecting him and it's very difficult for him but then I just think he needs he needs to knuckle down. He just need, I, what frustrates me is that I do think there's a really good player there. I do think there is so much more developing and someone who can become a lot better. I just think that he needs to refocus. Um, I understand that's difficult everything that's going on, but he just needs to to regain that drive because I think that he can play an important role for Newcastle this season if he does rediscover it. He's a nice player, isn't he? He's got good habits. You can tell that he's come through somewhere like Arsenal and learnt the game in the right way and and you know he's as I said he's intelligent he's smart I think you can see that in his play you just want him to get it together but obviously um, his football has been superseded by by personal matters hasn't it yeah, I agree I think he did have quite a good first half um, against Arsenal you know was getting about was putting in the challenges um, but yeah I'm going to agree with you and say he's had a not so Week. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree as well. On, on balance, it hasn't been a great week for him. Um, we'll see if he's given the chance again at Crystal Palace. And over to you, Matthew. Um, 
just a, a couple that I wanted to put out there for consideration. We talked about the fans that have been protesting and whether you believe in the way that they are going about it, whether you, you buy into everything that they're saying about how and why they want to change the club, the fact that they are sticking to their guns and sticking to what they're believe, believing in and then still coming in to support the team, I think shows that they are making progress with their campaign. So, you know, you have to respect them, respect those who have given up their time to create these groups and organise things because... It has to be organised and it is gaining support with every passing week. So I think for them, the, from a visual perspective, to be outside the stadium making their point in the way that they did and getting the message far and wide, I think it's been for them, for their cause and their purpose, it's been a good week. In terms of football, um, I don't think it's been perhaps such a good week. And I'm just interested in what you think on this because um, it's someone that... I don't want to criticise, and I'm not really criticising, I'm just considering whether Martin Dubravka could have done better for the two goals, for the free kick. Um, perhaps was he a yard or two too far across to his right? Because during the match, I said Xhaka had found the top corner. When I looked at it again, it was a little bit lower down from the crossbar and the angle than, than I realised. Um, and the second goal, it's gone in off him. Could he have got a stronger hand? Was he partially sighted because there were players in front of him? I don't know. I know there was perhaps some criticism of his kicking against Spurs. But then we saw the good at Manchester City with an excellent treble save in the second half, um, which would have made it would have made it 3-1 at the time, wouldn't it? So I just wonder what you thought about, about maybe Martin Dubravka and, and has, he, has he hit the heights yet with his overall game as he did when he came in? In I, February, I think that the, the communication that we saw last season, where you know he, he was brilliant against Huddersfield, against Southampton, constantly talking, even when Newcastle and United were, you know, were, were leading them games, you know, quite strongly, that was lacking. I thought on on Saturday, and it's been lacking this season. He's not been as vocal um, as he was last season, and I think it was noticeable against Arsenal. You know, he, he, times last season, even when it was very quiet, you could you could hear him chatting away, you could hear him talking, shouting, organising. But whether you know, I was just a bit deaf on Saturday. I, I couldn't I couldn't hear that. Yeah, I think that Martin Dubravka, his how he's played so far this season is almost in itself uh, reflective of, of the team itself. I think there have been some good points that the, the, the treble save at Man City. Um, I still think he is a better option than the other ones they've got. I think he gives Newcastle something different, but he hasn't he hasn't reached those heights at all. I thought this on Saturday as well, and I, I was I'd only seen the goal a couple a couple of times when um, the Xhaka goal when I I wrote my initial piece, and when I saw it again, I, I mean he does even almost get a hand to it. And if he'd gone with one hand, even even his position, you think me you've got there. I mean it, it is a very good free kick, so I think that that one mm-hmm. possibly the second one. He is unsighted, but the ball doesn't come at him that strongly. He does get quite a strong arm to it, and I think he himself would be disappointed. I saw him speaking to Rafa Benitez at the end of the game, so I think he probably was in himself disappointed. I don't know if they're saying, I don't know what was discussed there, but it looked like they were almost talking about that. Um, and so I don't think it has been a great week for Martin Dubravka, but again, he's someone who I think has the strength of character to come through, and I think that he will still be one of Newcastle's best players this season. I just, I think he's a fantastic goalkeeper. He's, again, a really nice person. The other players like him. He's made a big difference to the team, and that's not to say anything negative about Rob Elliott or Carl Dahl, who all, who mm. both at times have performed excellently for Newcastle in the Premier League and in the Championship. Um, but I think you're probably right. It's it's Newcastle in a microcosm, isn't it? You know, moments of good, moments of not so good, but not quite at the level they were last season. So a not so canny week then for Martin Dubravka. Not so canny. Yeah. Well, yeah, you agree on this, and on the fans. No, I agree. I think it's been it's been a, a canny week for the fans. Like I say the the videos look brilliant because you know they are starting to get noticed, and like you say, whether you you agree with their approach or not, you know it it does look good for them. Yeah, I'd agree it has been a canny week for those fans. And what I'd also like to say, and I'm always, I never like to, to tell any fan how they should support their football club. And for any fan who doesn't believe or doesn't want to join in the protests or who don't want to do that, 
I don't think that they should be criticised for that either. They, they may not agree with the current regime or anything like that, but that's not to take anything away from the momentum that I think the Magpie group and these protests are gaining. I just think you've got this, and it's so difficult when you're in this situation as a fan to know what to do in this situation. What do you do when it seems that you can't take back control of your football club? Some people do, as, as some are doing with the protests, others don't want to. And I think that, that, that there has to be that understanding from both sides that there will be different approaches to this but I think that the coverage they're starting to get and, and, and hopefully the effect they may be starting to have that is a positive for yeah. you so uh, can you then we're yeah. all agreeing we're all agreeing this is a lot easier than I thought it was going to be um, well thank you very much for joining us thank you Matthew for coming in thank you. you as always um, you can head over to chroniclive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news we're bringing you the preview podcast to the Crystal Palace game on Thursday and also a, uh, a review of the game on Saturday evening if Chris gets it up onto the train in time. Uh, thank you very much.